0: James chapter 3, as we make our way through this short and powerful letter that reminds us what it looks like to hold the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. Come to chapter 3, and I'd like to begin reading there in verse 1, but we'll consider uh, verses 2 through 12 today. So let us once again give ear to the reading of God's Word. James chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers. For you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. For we all stumble in many ways. And if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. If we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire! And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, members staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Does a spring pour forth from the same opening, both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Let's ask his blessing upon it now. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the fact that it is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. So we pray that as your word is proclaimed today, that you might grant to us faith to believe all that is promised to us in the gospel, as well as hearts of gratitude for all that Christ has done. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Well, beloved of the Lord, let me ask you, what do you think is the most powerful muscle in the human body? Well, it depends. Depends on what you want that muscle to do. Of course, the largest muscle in the human body is the gluteus maximus, that thing that you're sitting on right now. Uh, that's responsible of course for keeping our posture upright for helping us lift things for helping us go up a flight of stairs it's a very powerful and important muscle the hardest working muscle in the body of course is the heart that thing that constantly pumps blood throughout your body throughout the course of your lifetime it will beat three billion times it is a workhorse of a muscle Perhaps the muscle that has pound for pound the most power is the masseter muscle. That's the muscle that is in your jaw, the thing that you use to bite and to chew. The average human can, can apply 200 pounds of pressure from their molars. It's a powerful muscle. But if you're asking for the type of muscle that defines who you are, that can radically alter your entire course of Of life as well as the lives of those around you there's no question the most powerful muscle in the body is your tongue and that's because boys and girls you use your tongue to talk and if you doubt me don't do it now but maybe after church after you've washed your hands I want you to grab onto your tongue and try to say something you won't be able to say it'll be really funny Well, we use our tongue to talk, and so that's why James is talking to us today about the tongue, because our speech is very powerful. We we used to say, sticks and stones can break your bones, but words can never hurt you. Well, that is not true. The tongue is very powerful. So just as a reminder of the context, last week, James began his chapter by warning his readers that not many of them should become teachers. And that's because of the fact that we're all sinners and we all stumble in many ways, not the least of which with our speech. And since it's the teacher or minister's job to talk, to communicate, we recognize that they will be judged. People like me will be judged with greater strictness by what we say in the church. And so it makes sense that only those who are properly called and qualified should undertake such an office in the church. But starting in verse 2, we see James broaden his application, his exhortation to his entire audience when he says, we all stumble in many ways, and he speaks of the need for us to control what we say. He says, if you are able to bridle your tongue, if you are able to control your speech, you will be a perfect man. Now, some commentators suggest that when James uses this word perfect, he really just means mature. And that is a a proper way to translate this Greek word to mean it's a you're a mature person. But we've already seen this word before in his letter. He's already defined for us what he means by perfect all the way back in chapter one, verse four. He speaks of us being perfect, complete, lacking nothing. And so when James uses this word perfect, he's not just talking about being mature, but being perfectly mature. Being perfect in your, in your actions, in thought, word, and deed. Being, in other words, just like the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he says, with just a tinge of, of hyperbole, that if you are able to control this muscle right here, if you can control your speech, you can control your entire body, all of your actions. And that's simply because it is so hard to control your tongue, it is so hard to tame your tongue. It's just, it is so easy to open your mouth and say whatever is on the top of your mind. But James tells us we need to bridle that thing. As a matter of fact, part of pure and undefiled religion is not just visiting widows and orphans in their need, but it is bridling your tongue, as he tells us back in chapter 1, verse 26. And as James discusses taming the tongue, He gives evidence from the world around us. He looks into nature and he shows us how something very, very small can nonetheless do and control very powerful things. First of all, he talks about the bit. Boys and girls, of course, you might know that the bit is part of the the bridle, the, the harness that goes on a horse's head. And the bit is that part that goes inside a horse's mouth in between their front teeth and their back teeth and that bit is connected to the reins, and all it takes is a gentle tug on the reins to the left or right, and you can control such a powerful animal as the horse. Likewise, we can look at the ships out at sea, these powerful ships that, that, that are battered by huge waves and drawn to and fro by the winds. They are controlled by a relatively small rudder, that part on the back of the ship that, that is underwater, and all it takes is a gentle tug shift with the steering wheel and the captain can, dire- can direct that powerful uh, ship wherever he would have it. So also, James says in verse 5, the tongue is small. It's a relatively small part of our body and yet it is able to achieve tremendous things. He says it boasts of great things. Now, at this point, I think James is highlighting just how powerful the tongue is without commenting on whether it could be for good or for evil. Because as a matter of fact, it is both. The tongue is powerful, but that could be used for a powerful good or for a powerful evil. James has already referenced just how powerful the tongue could be for good when he talks about how hearing the preached word with meekness is able to save our souls. What is happening right now is I'm using my tongue for good and not for evil. And as you receive with meekness this implanted word, it is literally saving you. He'll go on later in chapter three to talk about how pure and peaceable and gentle words that are open to reason and full of mercy, impartial and sincere. So peace from which we will harvest, we will reap a harvest of righteousness. Did you know that you could literally communicate grace with your tongue? The apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter four, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Also in Colossians 4, he says, let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. So as we speak the truth in love, we are literally imparting grace to the listener. Uh, Harnessing the power of the tongue for good as it is an instrument of God's grace so that we might build one another up. So the tongue is small, but it boasts of great things. Of course, the tongue can do tremendous good, but it could also do tremendous harm. And that's where I think James shifts in his discussion about the tongue as he uses another illustration from nature where he talks about how great a forest fire could be set ablaze by a teeny little spark. Of course, James is writing in in a a climate that is very similar to ours. I don't have to tell you about the dangers of forest fire, especially right now. You know, we're we're in a, a red flag warning where you need to watch it because even the smallest little spark can set off an entire forest, uh, set an entire forest ablaze and burn thousands and thousands of acres. Well, that's how it is with our tongue. One misspoken word, one word, as soon as it goes out of your mouth, can destroy somebody's life. It can set, it's it's almost as if uh, you have set an entire fire in their life. It ruins lives. That's how it is with our tongues. James speaks about how our tongues are not just like a bit that controls a horse or like a rudder that steers a ship or like a spark that sets a fire. He says it is a fire. He drops the simile. That thing that's in your mouth right now is a fire that can cause so much damage. And when we unleash this fire, we unleash, he says, a world of unrighteousness almost every evil imaginable can be performed with the tongue and done in our speech it's set in the tongue is set in such a way that james says it stains our whole body that is when we give free rein to our tongues when we speak whatever comes to our minds whenever we want it corrupts us and it can ruin our entire lives Jesus talked about this in Mark chapter 7 when the scribes and Pharisees were getting on his case or his disciples' case about not properly washing their hands before they ate and they weren't concerned there about germs they were they had these ceremonial laws that they made up. And Jesus says to them there is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. And he goes on and explains whatever goes into a person from outside Cannot defile him, since it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and is expelled. What comes out of a person, that is, what comes out of our mouth, is what defiles him, Jesus says. For from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. And I'm sure if Jesus had the time, he could go on and on and on, talking about this world of unrighteousness that we unleash with our tongues as we give free reign to our mouths and say whatever is within. Jesus says all these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. That's, how, that's why James can say our tongue can stain our entire body. It can ruin our entire course And here we need to recognize that we can use our tongue not only to tear down others, to set their lives on fire, as it were, but when we do that, we also engage in self-destruction as we give expression to the evils within. He says that the fire, which is our tongue, is set on fire by hell. The French existentialist philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre said, hell is other people. And James says, no, hell is your tongue. And if you give free reign to your tongue, if you unleash that thing, you're going to set on fire your entire course of life. You're, in other words, you're sending yourself to hell. We unleash the tongue's power to our own demise. Now, James is James saying here, is he suggesting that perhaps a Christian could lose his or her salvation if they don't watch their mouth? No, that's not what he's saying. He's saying that if one does not seek to bridle his tongue, his reli- he deceives himself and his religion is worthless. As he said back in chapter one or in chapter two, his faith is dead. Why? Because there is zero effort to tame the tongue. And turning back once again to nature in verse seven James recognizes, he highlights how it is that mankind in a remarkable manner has been able to tame even the most fierce animals. Lions, tigers, killer whales, you name it, mankind has been able to tame all of the creatures in the world. But ever since the fall, the one beast we cannot tame is ourselves. We cannot control our mouths James says it is a restless evil now by this he could mean that the tongue never stops it's always ready to break out but he's already used this word restless back in chapter one when he described the double-minded man who is unstable in all his ways. And there he used that word to to talk about how the double-minded man vacillates, goes back and forth, prays prays for wisdom, but then doubts that he even wants the wisdom from God. He's double-minded. He wants to be a friend of the world and a friend of God at the same time. And perhaps that's the sense that James is talking about here when he talks about the tongue. That is, it's double-minded. It's a double, we're double tongued, as it were. From the same mouth comes blessings and curses. And James says, this ought not to be. The tongue is full of deadly poison. No doubt, James here has in mind Psalm 140, where David says, Deliver me, O Lord, from evil men, preserve me from violent men. They make their tongue sharp as a serpent's, and under their lips is the venom. Of asps, and you may say, "Well, that's just true of other people. That's not true of me." But you see, the Apostle Paul quotes this very psalm in Romans chapter three as he's speaking about all mankind by nature. By nature, we are vipers in diapers, and our tongue, our forked tongue, is the thing that we use to unleash this deadly poison. And what makes this poison so deadly and so lethal is it pours forth from the same mouth by which we sing sweet praises to God. Not only the same mouth we kiss our mothers with, but the same mouth that we praise God with. We then turn around and curse our neighbor who is made in the image of God. Do you recognize the hypocrisy there that James is pointing out that we do in evil of our fellow man? our fellow image bearer, because when we insult them, we ultimately are insulting God in whose image they were created. And such behavior is completely inconsistent with who we are in Christ Jesus. It is out of place, as uh, as Paul reminds us in Ephesians chapter 5. In Ephesians 5, Paul's showing us how we ought to be imitators of God as dear children. And part of that means, he says, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. That is, it's inconsistent with who we are in Christ. But rather, instead, Paul says, let there be thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is what we should be known as not as those who tear down not those who engage in filthy or foolish or crude language to highlight this this need for consistency in the christian life james once again turns us back to nature now boys and girls if you wanted to eat a fig would you go to an olive tree if you wanted to have an olive would you go to a grapevine well of course not you see Plants produce according to their kind. A a fig tree will produce figs, and an olive tree will produce olives, and a grapevine will, will of course, produce grapes. So it is with the spring. If you find a fresh water spring, it will gush forth fresh water, not fresh and salt water. It won't be fresh one day and salty the next, and then back again. No, there is this consistency that we expect in nature. And James says we ought to expect that in our Christian lives living consistent with the fact that we have been uh, a life that is consistent with the fact that we have been raised with him Jesus taught the same thing in Mark Matthew chapter 7 he says are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles so every healthy tree bears good fruit but the diseased tree bears bad fruit a healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Jesus and James' point is clear. If we are good trees, we ought to produce good fruit. If we are healthy springs, we ought to spring forth fresh water that revives the soul. Now, will we do this perfectly? Well, of course not. James has already uh, admitted early uh, at the beginning of the chapter that we all stumble in many ways, not the least of which with our tongue. You've got to bear in mind these are metaphors and that we are not trees. The tree will always produce according to its kind if it's a good, healthy tree. But of course, we're not trees. We're fallen humans who are being recreated in the image of Christ. But we who have been made alive by the Spirit of grace ought to expect the good fruit to be produced. If we walk according to the Spirit, if we keep in step with the Spirit, we will produce love, joy, peace, and all the rest of the fruits of the Spirit. But when we do sin, when we do allow our tongues to have free reign, and when we sin against our neighbor, by speaking evil against them. We need to recognize just how inconsistent that is with the fact that we are new creatures in Christ. And we need to repent of being double-minded and double-tongued. And we ought to seek to live by God's grace in greater fidelity to that law of liberty by which Christ has set us free. May God grant to us grace to tame our tongues, so that we might tame our entire bodies also. Amen? Let's give thanks. Dear Lord Jesus, we humbly confess before you that we all stumble in many ways, especially with the words that we say. And yet, Lord, we, are, we, thank, we thank you for the fact that when you came, you were perfect, complete, lacking in nothing, and you always spoke the truth in love so that it might give grace to the listener. We Thank you for your sacrificial death that washes away all of our sins, uh, washes away uh, the times in which we are double-minded and double-tongued. And Lord, we pray that you might create us anew, renew us by your Holy Spirit so that we might more and more bridle our tongues so that we might give glory to God and build up our neighbor. And we ask all this in your name. Amen.